0: What is up, everyone? We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch you up on the newest trends in fat diets based off of popular opinion, not research. Enter myself and Tony. We made the Fitness Stuff podcast to make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education, where today we are covering the most important metrics you're probably not paying attention to on your fitness track i.e. Apple Watches, Aura Rings, Whoop Bands, Fitbits, et cetera. I know a lot of people ask us about these often, so we're gonna dive into it. More specifically, looking into HRV, which is your heart rate variability, the meaning behind different stages of sleep, body temperature, and more, how accurate the actual technology is that measures these and to show how these devices aren't made to just hold yourself accountable, but they're made to help you track certain metrics in your progress and make adjustments to your lifestyle, such as training, sleep, recovery, all really important factors when it comes to actually achieving your goals. These can be really useful. You just have to know what to look at.
1: We got to get better. But before we get started, as always, a friendly reminder, this show is free, and it always will be free. Our team of three just trucking along, and the easiest way you can support us, and our favorite way, we were just having a little moment reading through some of the five-star reviews on Apple before this, is to give us a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening on. takes 10 seconds. You can do it right now, unless you're driving, then wait until you're at a red light. But a quick word going into it from two pieces, one- This Friday, our research review we are dropping over on Patreon, which is our weekly research review. It's five bucks a month to get in. It's going to be covering intermittent fasting geared towards fat loss specifically. Last week, we had a freaking banger on carbon taken, not just body composition, but those secondary metabolic effects such as insulin and blood glucose response, cholesterol, blood pressure, and so many more important metrics of health, which I actually learned a lot putting together. That's over on Patreon. If you're over there. And a quick word from today's video sponsor. I hate calling them sponsors because we use these in our daily lives. So I feel weird (laughs) saying sponsor (laughs) because we use them regardless, but it's eat this much. We don't shut up about them because they're freaking useful. It's probably the single best tool you could put in your toolkit. If you are trying to make a body composition change that requires some change in nutrition, which hint, hint, most do. Eat This Much has incredible free features that we've highlighted quite a bit before where it can auto-populate a meal plan with specific recipes based on your goals, your calorie intake, your macro intake, where you're trying to go. It'll auto-populate it. You can go do that for free, right? They also have a premium plan, and that's where they pretty much take everything out of it, right? The key is preparation. This is that key. You can plan a week of meals at a time. It automatically generates your grocery list, which you can even sync to a grocery delivery service. It just goes right there if you have one. Automatically syncs your leftovers, customizes every single day of the week, and you can print and email your plans. If you want to get 20% off premium, you can use our code or go to eatthismuch.com forward slash fitness stuff, or we'll put that in the description and just get two weeks for free. If you go down there and try it, you don't have to sign up, put any credit card information in it. You just get two weeks for free. If you decide you like it, you're good to go. That's who we're talking about today.
0: I'm excited.
1: <sighs> it's time to get in some goodies,
0: some goodies.
1: <laughs> so many people ask me about my aura ring. So that's what stemmed this episode. How many people, I mean, I know you have an Apple watch. Mm, I was Apple yeah. watch about a year and a half ago until I switched to aura. Cause I wanted to focus a little bit more on sleep and recovery. Does everyone have a fitness tracker? I guess I'm a little out of touch. Do most people have some sort of fitness tracker if it's an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, a Whoop, a something?
0: I feel like if they don't have it, a lot of people have tried them. Yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't know. But I know, I mean, a lot of people get Apple Watches for so many different reasons. Some mode of tracking something, I feel like is much more common in especially the health and fitness space nowadays.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think I read it was gonna be a something billion dollar industry by the end of this year. Which blows my it's mind. It's because there's trackers everywhere. I mean, there's the Aura Ring, which is a little bit newer. The Whoop Band, the Apple Watch. There's Garmin, Fitbit, Polar, Samsung. Gar- there's so many different fitness trackers now. But here's what gets me. And so many questions I get for them is people don't know how to use them correctly, in my opinion. They like, track yeah, your steps. They might track your calorie. But so many people don't use them for the right reasons. Or at least they're not taking advantage of all the data that it actually tracks and what they can use to completely change their life, not mm-hmm. just get to weight loss goal, but like I was telling you before this show, when I got the Aura Ring to fix my sleep, stress, and recovery, how my energy through the day and fatigue it was killing me before as I was growing the business. I was exhausted 24-7, even though I was sleeping eight-ish hours. It was not very high-quality sleep. I did not know that. And until I got the data from each piece of my day that I could start adjusting and changing and optimizing it is when then I could make the changes to make sure I was sleeping a quality sleep. I was recovering from my stress. Mm. I actually started working out less so I could recover better. And my mood, my fatigue, and my energy are so much better Yeah. through the day. And I think so many people have it in the palm of their freaking hands, but they just don't know what to do with it.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I feel like especially with an aura ring, What I really like about them is like it's much more niche, right? People go get that because they want to improve their sleep. It doesn't do all like a million and one different things, which a lot of these do, especially like an Apple Watch. And oftentimes the leverage towards the Apple Watch for fitness purposes, so to say, I said in quotation marks, if you're not (laughs) watching this, is to know how many calories you burned in a day and to know how many steps you took. And that's kind of it when that's a point that you shouldn't use to just guide <laughs> exactly what you're doing but yeah i mean so many runners they don't have an apple watch they have a garmin there are like different populations of people that will gravitate towards different activity trackers but the people that really use the ones i would say like a garmin watch versus an apple watch oh yeah. wise Mm, very different there. Like the gravitational pull for a Garmin is very performance-based and metric-based like Mm -hmm. versus some others that are just more like.
1: Yeah, they they definitely have different items geared. Because when I got, because that was the thing, like when I got the Aura ring, I'd known and heard about it from sleep. Because I know things like the NBA, NHL, like these professional sports teams use the Aura ring because they realize how important that is. Mm -hmm. And I know just, we've mentioned this so many times on the podcast, It's like, what are you looking to get out of your fitness tracker? Because I think a lot of people are like, well, tell me how many calories I burn, which we're going to talk about later is one, terribly inaccurate from even the most accurate Mm -hmm. metrics. And two, you shouldn't be paying attention to that anyway. So it means zero in relation to your ultimate goals, which we'll get to the why behind that later. But where the Aura Ring tracks is more geared towards sleep, to recovery, for stress management, which I think people are finally starting to realize matters a lot more in pretty much any goal they have in life where something like you said the garmin or the whoop band is more geared towards athletes because like i'll tell you this with my aura band and like i said i don't find importance from tracking my workout metrics because i don't need them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: pretty much (laughs) that's just i just don't need them but if i wanted to wear this i just take it out for my workouts because it's a it's like a metal band on my ring and if you've ever tried to hold barbells right it's not comfortable to hold with a ring on so i just take it off right where the whoop band or the garmin something on your wrist is a lot easier to work out from, but just me personally, and for most of my clients when I recommend, I don't care how many calories the watch or whatever says you're burning Like it doesn't matter. It's not gonna make too much adjustments. The metrics that we're gonna talk about today that all of these bands do measure. The iWatch measures, I think most of these. Mm-hmm. The Woot band does, the aura ring does. It's paying attention to the right ones. And I just like the style of the ring. Yeah. But that's why. So we're going to go over several different ones. I'm really excited to get into sleep because we're getting into the different sleep stages and we're actually going deeper there. But the first one I wanted to start with is one that we talked about with the episode with Shane Hanner and Breathwork. We talked about something called heart rate variability, HRV. This is something that the, I know that's why I got the aura rings because I think it's the most accurate Whoop and aura. I know Apple also tracks HRV. Most people just, it's in a weird hidden section in your health app. I did not know that. So, if you have an Apple Watch, go look at it because it tracks. Are you-
0: I think it depends <laughs> yeah. on the version. Mine's pretty old, I think.
1: It might depend on the version, but go check it out after this. Maybe you learn something new. But let's talk about heart rate variability. All right. What is it? Why is this important metric? Because this is probably the single most important metric to your recovery and your stress that you are not paying attention to to tell you how much you can handle in a day, to tell me, tell you how hard to push it in a single day, to tell you if you need more recovery or less recovery, to tell you if you're getting sick, right? HRV measures all of this. So when most people think of heart rate, they think of a steady metronome, right? Just clicking back and forth, very rhythmic, very balanced, very in sync, right? That's what they think of when they think of a heart rate, boom, like a metronome. Mm -hmm. But that's not actually how it works, right? It actually changes its rhythm with each and every single beat. And this constant variation in milliseconds between your heartbeats is known as your heart rate variability. That's your HRV score. It's off by milliseconds in each direction. This beat was a little bit longer than the last beat. This beat was a little bit shorter than the previous beat. And they measure this in milliseconds. And that's what gives you your HRV. Now, some situations result in an increase in variation between heart rates, meaning a higher HRV, while others cause the intervals between beats to stay more constant meaning a lower HRV, right? The closer your heart rates are together, not closer, but the more rhythmic your heartbeat. Yeah, did I say that? You
0: said heart rate, heartbeat. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
1: The more, yeah, the more rhythmic your heartbeat is, the lower your HRV, right? The less variance there is between heartbeats, the lower your HRV, where some situations increase the variation between heartbeats, meaning you have a higher HRV score. Now, these variations and why this is important, and people didn't really start paying attention to this until a couple of years ago, All right? But these variations are a direct reflection of our nervous system, right? It's linked to your autonomic nervous system, right? The ANS, if you hear people talking about this, and more specifically, the balance between your parasympathetic and sympathetic parts of your nervous system, right? Parasympathetic being rest and digest, right? People think calm, rest and digest. Sympathetic nervous system being fight or flight, right? We gotta go, heart rate increases, that's what people think of fight or flight. So HRV is essentially just measuring the balance between these two. Okay, so the ANS, right? The part of the nervous system is responsible for control of the bodily functions that you are not consciously directing, right? Your breathing, your heartbeat, the widening or narrowing of blood vessels, your digestive processes, and more, Right the things that you are not consciously aware of, right? And all the cells in your heart's pacemaker, right? In there that tells your heart to beat. Have a direct phone line. This is the greatest analogy I heard of it. A direct phone line coming from both sides of your ANS, right? The rest and digest and the fight or flight systems. They both have direct lines to the pacemaker, right? Your rest and digest tells your heart to slow down, making room for variability between beats, a higher HRV. Your fight or flight system tells your heart rates to speed up which limits the space of variability, which means you have a lower HRV, right? And these two systems can be silent, they can be active, they can be shouting over each other at all times. It's a lot of conversation and that leads to a lot of variation. That was the best way I found it put, mm-hmm. right? So a lower HRV means that you're spending a little bit more time in that fight or flight response, right, that's sympathetic. Where if you have a higher HRV that's typically associated, and I don't wanna say better or worse, Because we're going to get into the why here in a second. Yes. But the higher HRV typically means you're spending more time in that rest and digest, that calm, that recovery state, right? That's what that number typically means, right? So that's what the HRV measures. Your heart rate variability is measuring whether you're spending more or less time in the fight or flight or the rest and digest space. Obviously, that's very important to how your body is recovering. So what's a good rule of thumb? what score do you want? Now, a good rule of thumb is the higher HRV is going to be associated with more rest and digest, better general fitness and good recovery. Higher Mm -hmm. HRV is. Lower HRV, so the lower that number, is associated with more fight or flight, more stress, or even illness sometimes, right? We're under recovery, overtrained. That's when you have a lower HRV score. Now, Where your particular, and this is the big thing that I think most people need to realize because I was teaching Shane about this a while ago when we were digging deeper into it. There's not a good or a bad score, but like many things based on context, your HRV matters based on your individual HRV. Where do you tend to spend time in and where is it going based on that? Now, this massively differs from male versus female and age. Right, But for most people, and this is actually for females, I took the median and the mode. So median being the middle of distribution, the mode being the most commonly occurring score. The median distribution for HRV for females is 35. The mode, meaning the most commonly occurring score is 27. But it ranged anywhere from like 20 upwards of like 60, 70. And even sometimes people can get in the 80s, 90s, I've even seen if you're in really, really, really good health. But just because you have a score of 30, doesn't mean you're unhealthy. Just like having a score of 60, doesn't mean you are healthy, right? But it's based on where you are and where you're changing. That'll make more sense in just a second. Now the median for males, very similar is 38 where the mode is also 27. And as you get older, this number generally gets smaller, right? So wherever yours is now in 10 years, odds are, even if you're still in good shape, it's going to get lower with age falling, usually until the low twenties or thirties past age 50 right? Now, there's a lot that goes into this metric. And here's how we're going to talk to you about how to interpret it. So before we talk about interpretation, things that impact it, right? Outside factors, number one, are going to be things like stimulants, right? Caffeine, ADHD medication, those things speed your heart rate up. When you speed your heart rate up, your heart rate variability goes down, right? That's a fact. So if you're over caffeinated, that's obviously going to impact things. Medication-based is also a little bit different because caffeine is not usually a medicine. You can usually survive without (laughs) caffeine. Now, lifestyle factors that impact it. Now, I, I split this into a list of things that you can control and can't control. Things that you cannot control that impact your HRV are your demographics, right? Your age and your gender, your hormonal cycles, especially females through their menstrual cycles. This actually goes up and down. And things like illness. But the lifestyle factors that do impact it, and this is what's going to make your number matter as we look at how to improve it and how to use it, is things like your sleep routine, your sleep temperature, your sleep quality, your sleep timing, right? Your nutrition, your hydration, your physical fitness, your emotional stress that goes into it, things that you can control. And honestly, I was like, do we put emotional and stress under things you can or can't control? But I think we've talked enough about this that you can put in practices to better control your reaction to stress and emotions. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. So like, this, yeah, this is definitely a hard one because like anxiety and depression imp- are both factors that impact your heart mm-hmm. rate variability like negatively.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because And so having proper practices in place to manage physiological reactions and what you do on a day-to-day because of those mood disorders. So that's where you can have the most control at like, keeping them at bay. So if you are like actively working on keeping your mm-hmm. mental health at bay, if you're diagnosed with these disorders, you are go- already at risk for less heart rate variability because mm-hmm. of these, but you can prevent that from getting worse, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah. No, it yeah. absolutely does. Because yeah, that's why I think I put it. Because yeah, you can do things to better help manage it. Yes. Because you're always, you're going to have emotions. You're going to have stress, things that can't get. But we've talked about things like meditation, things that can help r- really pretty much change your response to these stressors do have an impact on that. So that's where yeah. we did it. Now, here's how you would use it. You're like, okay, that's cool. I know what an HRV is. What the F does that number really mean? Like, how do I change it? What should I use it for? So here's how you use it. Now, I, I, at least I know on the aura Band it gives you a nightly average and then a weekly and monthly trending average. I don't know if the Apple Watch does it and I'm pretty sure Whoop does it as well because you're gonna get a nightly score. But what's more importantly is that nightly score in relationship with your trending score, right? Your trending and by score, I just mean what your HRV is, right? So the trending average is what your ultimate goal is to improve on a month to month basis. You, you should set the goal to improve your average, right? But you're gonna use your nightly score to tell you how to better structure your day. In example, your training intensity, work breaks, added breath work through the day, things like that. So your nightly score pretty much based on your averages, let's say my average is 45. If I wake up and my HRV is 30, it's lower, that's a good rule of thumb that's saying, okay, I'm under recovered. My body is telling me I'm under recovered. I'm not made for a lot of high intense activity that day. It might be a little bit of a more tiring day where if my average is 45 and I wake up at 60, right? If I wake up at 60, that's a great sign that, Hey, hey, bring it on today. Like I can Mm -hmm. handle my more intense training sessions. I can go through the workday and put some freaking work in. I don't need to take any 15 or 20 minute breaks to maybe breathe or practice meditation. I can handle a lot of workload that day. So that's how you use your nightly score based on your average, but your goal would be to improve your average over time right? Meaning you're improving your general fitness. And the ways to improve this, right, would be things like meditation and stress management. This is massive. My favorite one, breathwork. We were talking about this on the breathwork episode. And even, and this is the craziest thing I noticed with the tracker that tracks it minute to minute is a 10 minute breathwork exercise that I did. And I still do time to time, but when I do a 10 minute breathwork exercise, my HRV increases by five to 10 points in the matter of minutes, usually it takes a full night's sleep or something like that to really make significant changes. In five to 10 minutes, my HRV will jump five to 10 points if I'm doing a controlled breath work, right? For example, I think Shane had been doing a four second inhale, eight second pause, eight second exhale, four second pause. Usually those slower exhales and the pauses help elongate and bring up that HRV score because it's telling yourself like, "Hey." We're rest and digest. We're not fight or flight right now. I can handle some slower exhales. I don't need to have elevated breathing. You changing your breath work inversely changes how your body's responding. So that one's fun and that one's big. So if you're having those days where maybe you wake up with a low HRV score, lower than average, plan in maybe like mid-morning lunchtime, plan in a 10-minute breathwork session. All right. And I guarantee you, you're going to notice a big difference in how you get through the day on that little break where if you wake up higher, you might not need one. And I think that was really cool. But other ones, big one, prioritize your sleep. We're gonna get into that next. That is where your body and brain recovers. So if you're skipping out on sleep and your quality is low, your HRV will be tanked. And obviously, and this is the way where it's like, how do I adjust? Listen to your score. Don't overreach in life, in training. That's how you make long-term improvements. And that's why I think, I don't even know if we talked about this is why, going from myself five days a week training, weight training and resistance training at a high intensity down to four days a week. That's why I ultimately did it is because my body was not recovering when I was training five days a week. So when I went down to four, I felt better. I recovered better. I was spending more time resting. I just, it was beautiful. So that's how you would use it.
0: Yeah. <sighs> I want, I wanted to make a quick note too, for any of my fel- our fellow listeners that also like myself, have anxiety. Something that is particularly difficult for those with anxiety is switching course. So if something comes Mm. about in your day, which happens almost every day, it, it just does. That was unplanned. That elicits a fight or flight response, physiological response versus it just being inconvenient and you being annoyed. Your body is aware of that change and it switches and mm. we, because a heart rate variability plays a large role in this. Yeah. Our body is not well equipped for those changes. That's why the reaction is so much greater because mm. your body is experiencing this heightened level of danger. So yeah. if you take away anything from this, that can Instantly, matter of 10 minutes, I say instantly, 10 minutes bring you back. So if you are one of those people, it's not that this isn't something that really goes away. You may still have that response, but the reaction that takes place, if you implement breath work, doesn't happen. You don't have this reaction in your daily life. And the hardest part about this is if you do switch over to this fight or flight state that persists throughout the rest of your day. So really trying breathwork, it can bring you back and it, it really can change the course of your day and that can also improve your heart rate variability. So I just like to add that note
1: because- No, I remember us really, talking really about that on the breathwork episode. Because think about this. So let me ask you this, with anxiety, what other things do you notice through the day with that? We're not talking about HRV or breathwork, but when you're in that state of heightened anxiety and your body is in your nervous system a little bit more towards fight or flight, I think what we talked about, I want to hear more on is like things like your inability to think super clearly and to problem yes. solve and to do mm-hmm. so many things. Like, where do you see that popping up in your day when you are in that heightened sense? Versus um, me personally? Yeah. What are some or things just, you notice?
0: I used to be, I'm not really there anymore, but being very reactionary, like any time, mm. and this is in relationships. So you're always on edge. Anytime someone asks you something, maybe yeah. needs something super small from you, is trying to engage with you when you have a task at hand that you need to accomplish, or it may seem like an inconvenience, it's a snap. Like instantly mm. mad, instantly frustrated, views that interaction as an inconvenience. I'm not sure if you've ever described anyone as snippy or on edge. Like, oh, yeah. I think everyone can think edge. someone
1: pops into your head when you think someone's snappy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So d- definitely that. And the, productivity is very difficult, difficult, like productivity significantly lowers because you are not in a state where you can critically think you cannot stay focused on a task. Like all the things yeah. you need to be able to do, it really impacts, you see this a lot in the workplace with people. It's not talked about enough, but it, it becomes really, really hard to produce any sort of final outcome over time. It just keeps piling <laughs>
1: The way you're explaining it makes it seem like problem solving would be just so hard. It's like when I get like that, like when I get elevated anxiety and I'm trying to like focus and figure something out, my brain can only focus on one answer. And if that answer is yes. wrong, I can't see any other. Like I just see this one thing. And I get frustrated. And then when you're not in that state, you're like, oh my God, the answer was right in front of my face the entire yeah. time. Like, mm-hmm. do you notice that? That's what I feel like when I relate to what you're just saying. Yeah. Problem solving goes out the window if I'm anxious or I'm in that heightened state.
0: Yeah. And the ability to be like rational, no, so hard. So the impact breathwork can have on that is huge.
1: And even I'm guessing too, not even just that breathwork immediately, but I'm guessing probably someone, if you suffer from anxiety long-term, this might be a metric that you would really want to aim to improve. If you can get better and change certain areas of your life, like breathwork, like meditation, like prioritizing pieces of sleep that you could just slowly make that incrementally better. It's like, that's just slowly gonna make those things get easier and easier. Not something to solve anything, but this would be a great metric to aim at and say, okay, my new goal, like we were talking about in our other episode, as far as like successful versus unsuccessful clients, right? Goal setting, this would be a phenomenal goal, not in the gym, not body composition-based. This would be a phenomenal goal to work on is, my HRV is like a 27. I'm gonna try and get it to 35 in the next couple months, average. That would be a huge goal to have by putting Mm -hmm. those things in place. And again, before we jump into sleep stages, this is those things like, again, use the data these things are giving you and say, okay, where in my life am I not doing things to optimize the numbers that aren't so great? So if your HRV is not so great, look at your sleep, look at your stress management. If those aren't checking the boxes, change them and what you'll be surprised with what happens now. The next big ones, and this is the thing, the next big ones that I think are so important in a tracker. So if you're looking to get into a tracker, I know we were just talking about your boyfriend being big into these. I'm big into these, your sleep stages in different things. Now, I know not every tracking device measures this or measures it super, super accurately. I know Aura is geared towards it. I think Whoop does a very good job representing it, maybe not as much detail. And I think with the last Apple Watch update, they do it as well. But that was the big problem when I had the Apple Watch is I would charge my watch at night so I could wear it yeah, during the day. I don't
0: know about Apple. I mean, I don't use it because I do take it off. So I don't...
1: Yeah, my I roommate just showed me the update. Because before you had to go through a third-party app, like you had to sync your health app to a third-party app to yeah. interpret sleep data. But I think with the latest update, Apple now does sleep. It's not as in-depth as like an Aura, which gives you, I think, like 12 different metrics. But it's absolutely huge. So let's talk a little bit about sleep. And more specifically, we're going to talk about your time spent in REM and deep sleep. Sleep's very complicated, but usually the difference between quality sleep and lack of quality sleep, right? Me before mm-hmm. sleeping eight hours, getting next to no time spent in REM and deep sleep versus seven hours. So less time, but with significantly more REM and deep sleep. I'm going to take the seven hours with significantly more REM and deep sleep. 10 times out of 10. So when you talk about quality sleep, this is what we're talking about is spending more time in these restorative stages. So to give a brief overview of like what the stages are, what they do, there are typically, and this changes depending on who you ask. There's four stages of sleep and rem sleep, right? So one, two, three, four, and rem. Right. Here's the big thing that I don't think people understand. And REM just stands for rapid eye movement. Usually when you're dreaming, we got some fun facts about this one next. But (laughs) Here's the kind of cool thing is I think people were taught, at least I was taught when I was growing up, that there's like a magic 90 minute cycle that most people are taught that you just go through a sleep cycle and each cycle looks the same. Stage one to two to three to four. So REM and then back to one. And it just kind of goes in like a nice cycle through the entire night. That's not how it works. Now, when we look at like sleep stages in particular, REM and deep sleep in particular, you typically accumulate the vast majority of your REM or deep sleep in certain periods of the night, right? The deeper stages of sleep. So the more, the most time you spend in deep sleep is in the first half of your night, the first half of your evening, where REM sleep is typically in the second half of your evening. The majority of your REM sleep, not saying you don't touch REM in the first half or you don't touch deep in the other, right? But the vast majority of the time you're spending in REM versus deep sleep is separated into the first and second half of the night. And there's some big keys here. Soon, But I want to go over the initial stages. Right. So awake time is the first one. That's just time spent a week. Right. So usually your Apple watch will tell you this. The awake time time that you woke up through the night and time that you're awake in bed, which is also important. Right. If you're spending nine hours in bed, but you're only sleeping six and a half. That's not very efficient sleep. That starts to become a problem right? If you're not Mm -hmm. spending a lot of time asleep. So that's where you'd pay attention to that. Now the lighter stages of sleep, this is when your muscles might relax. They might jerk a little bit, your respiration, your breathing rate starts to slow. So these are light stages. One and two is what we consider light. Your heart rate begins to decrease. Your body temperature begins to decrease and waking up in this stage is easier. And I actually have a fun little hack for y'all soon too. It's easier to wake up. So if you notice like a power nap, why those work for so many people is you're waking yourself up out of the lighter stages of sleep, right? Where the deeper stages of sleep (laughs) is like when you get yanked out of those deeper stages stages, right? That's when you feel like just groggy, disoriented, like drunk. You're like, where am I? Right. And you're almost more tired if you get pulled out of a deep stage of sleep. Um, But that's what light sleep is right. Stages one and two stages, three and four, but not REM sleep. That's considered deep sleep, right? This is when your blood pressure drops your blood flow increases to muscle tissue growth hormone is being released tissue and growth or sorry tissue growth and cell repair occurs here right in deep sleep tissue growth and cell repair and then the brain flushes waste and shows long ter- longer slower brain waves right deeper stages of sleep again this is the earlier half of the night so think of this stage more of a physical recovery phase if you're lacking in deep sleep you're probably not physically recovering better. Your muscle growth, your joints, if you're getting injured a lot in the gym, you might not be sleeping in those deeper stages too much. Now, setting goals for deep sleep, because we know how important that is, especially if you have body composition goals, even overall health goals, this genuinely makes, or generally makes up about 0 to 35% of your total sleep. But a good goal to aim for is one to one and a half hours per night. How
0: crazy is that? One to one that? and a half that hours a- or more. Like, it's almost kind of like a, that's all, but how many people don't hit that
1: is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Just for the record, cause I documented most of it on Instagram when I first got aura, I think I was spending about 30 to 45 minutes in deep sleep a night when I first started. Now I'm getting two hours plus a night, usually five nights a week, which is great. That's when I know I'm like, okay, I'm going to be feeling good today. I can push in the gym right
0: now. Hey, w- can I interrupt Yes. on podcast? Cause I just found my heart rate variability because Apple watch does measure it. Do you guys want to know my?
1: Oh, God. Do you have any guesses? I'm
0: a little embarrassed. Oh,
1: God. What is it?
0: (laughs) Guess. Give me one guess.
1: Okay. You're setting me up to guess low. Yeah. So let's say 35 to 40, like a good average. Oh, you're Wait, 35
0: to 40 is a good average? For females, that was
1: about median. No, you want higher. Higher is usually better. What's your score? 30. 30 is not bad. No, 30 is good. The actual, the mode. In females, 27. Oh, really? Yeah. You- you're kicking ass.
0: I feel like there's so many different... Them. There are.
1: Th- that's what I'm saying. There's not like a good and the bad. Remember, it's based on like day-to-day versus your average. 30 is normal, though. If you were at no. like nine, which is actually for some pretty reason, funny... I if-
0: thought it was like, for my age, it was like in the
1: 60s, but I guess... If you're younger, I think typical average might ride a little bit higher. Yeah. But if you're 30 for a I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Because I think I'm around 38 to 40 cool is where my I feel eyes. better
0: about myself <laughs>
1: <laughs> even though a funny thing is you can tell if you ever pull like an all night like a rager you're celebrating something big and you check your HRV the next morning it'll be like 4 <laughs> or like 6 like it'll be like oh my god yeah
0: yeah okay you're, it's bad that is that's cool. cool so
1: that's the normal time spent in deep sleep okay so that's how much time is normally spent in deep sleep now we don't just present problems we're a solution company that's what we do mm-hmm. right that's what we say So here's how you would increase your deep sleep. And the more important thing is next, we're talking about REM sleep. And it's not necessarily that just more or less deep sleep is better, but your relationship from deep to REM matters a lot and how much time you're spending Mm. each. But if you are lacking in deep sleep and you feel like you're getting injured constantly, if your body's not feeling recovered, ways to increase it, right? There's things that you should avoid and things you should do. One of the best things that you can do to increase deep sleep is to exercise regularly specifically weight training, you're causing damage to your muscle tissue that needs to be repaired, telling your body to spend more time in these deeper stages of sleep because it's not repaired. It needs more time. So that's the number one thing you can do to increase it is to exercise regularly. You might be like, Tony, duh, we're listening to the fitness stuff podcast. I fitness every day, right? Here's what you can do and avoid to improve these. One, this one's a big one, and I have a funny story about Korean barbecue for this, is to avoid heavy meals before bed, right? If you're eating a mm. big meal right before you go to bed, you got to digest that food, and your body's going to be digesting that for several hours as you go into it, limiting how much time you can spend in deep sleep. So avoiding heavy meals late at night, right? And I know this is people are like, oh, but you told me that it's a myth that you can't eat before bed and not get fat." That's not what we're saying. This yeah, is based yeah. on your sleep and deep sleep. <laughs> The next big one is to avoid longer naps and stimulants in the afternoon. Those will really inhibit your body's ability to spend time in the deeper stages of sleep. And then another one that I don't think people pay attention to is to start avoiding bright screens one to two hours before bedtime. People say like, oh, how do we sleep better? Avoid screens. This is why. This will improve your sleep quality. Not just you falling asleep, but your sleep quality. If you can avoid big meals, try and avoid brighter screens close to bedtime, and avoid long naps and caffeine stimulants in the afternoon, your body typically can slide right into deep. How we do it?
0: Think about how many people, especially with TikTok now, like I used to be, this is one of the biggest things that I've changed (laughs) since, like, I'm not the best sleeper at all. Definitely not. But just getting more sleep, falling asleep quicker, and I feel more rested. That's totally personal. I don't know if I am, but- Mm -hmm just not scrolling on TikTok before bed. And it's so easy to be like, oh, just put your (laughs) phone down. But it is, as of recently, one of the hardest health behaviors I've had to change and like how much that changes if you just keep sticking to it. But it's so, so, You're not alone.
1: No. That's a lot of people. Even people that you wouldn't even think would be on TikTok are just like, I spend an hour a night Mm -hmm. before bed. It's I honestly get trapped in there too. And not even that, I know Huberman talks about this too, but just like your lighting in general, So maybe you got a a TV show that you like to watch with your husband or wife or whatever it is. That's okay. We're not saying you have to just read books and sit by candlelight all night. Mm -hmm. But if you Mm -hmm. have very bright and specifically, I know Huberman has talked about overhead lighting, very bright overhead lights on up until you go to bed, that's going to severely blunt your body from going into those deeper stages of sleep. So even if you can just dim lights or turn on things like lamps or table side lamps right something Mm -hmm. that's not above your head plays a very big impact on that because for me like i tried the no screens at all an hour and a half before bed and i failed i tried it because i was like i need to make this change i'm not spending enough time here and i failed but what i also didn't notice is every light was on in my room so i was reading i was doing things like this but i'm like what is happening (laughs) when i just started now i turn off all my lights i have some like fairy lights my little sprinklers Mm -hmm. that'll turn on but every other lights off i still go on my phone I might turn on the TV or something like that, but overall, I'm in a much darker surrounding and that has made a huge impact myself. Yeah. So anecdotal yeah. speaking. <laughs> oh, the big meal thing. I had Korean barbecue. That's what I love about wearing one of these rings is because you can call yourself out and I have, do you know what Korean barbecue is?
0: I do. I've never had it. My boyfriend <sighs> loves it. i am never had
1: Favorite it. meal of all time. They bring you unlimited meat. There's a menu with just like 30 kinds of meat. And sorry if this is hurting the past vegan inside you and there's yeah, a grill that's on that's your the table type of
0: person that has to cook my chicken till it's so dry
1: <laughs> oh then you would freak out you would freak out with cream barbecue but they just bring you so you get the i call them, you just get the meat sweats because you, you eat oh, like I, yeah pounds of meat and you get the meat sweats and i had that at 9 30 p.m we left i was sweating in bed i was like oh god this is gonna be bad And i woke up the next morning my heart rate was at like 75 until 2 a.m so high until 2 a.m and I spent like 30 minutes in deep sleep that night. I wonder what was going on. Oh, I've woke exactly. up and I still have two pounds of beef in my gut. So that's deep sleep. Let's talk about REM and listening to people like math, Dr. Matthew Walker, right? Who's one of the most renowned like sleep experts. There's not a typical, like a best stage of sleep. All stages are very important. REM sleep. She's special, right? She's special REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. So this is not stage one, two, three, or four. This is REM is very important. This is when respiration and your breathing rate actually increases, your heart rate increases, your temperature regulation is switched off. So your body's a little bit more free. You have vivid dreams. If you remember them, you usually have vivid dreams, right? But this is actually where the (laughs) dream journal, yeah. But if you have vivid dreams, this is when they would take place. And this is also where the motor neurons in the spinal cord are actively inhibiting, making the body immobile, to make you stop from acting out your dreams. They stop you from acting out your dreams. so You're not flailing around. You are temporarily <laughs> paralyzed. I don't think people, because this is a disorder where that switch is turned off. So people will flail their arms oh, yeah. in a dream if you've heard about this. So you're temporarily paralyzed in REM sleep.
0: So I have a question. Right? Yes. Why do boys twitch when they sleep? Does that mean they're not in REM sleep at that time that they twitch?
1: That's a great and question. And if you are a girl, no i do to it this. too my i've heard this from my girlfriend a hundred times so i'll just go like this and i'll just you twitch. guys
0: twitch and it's the weirdest so would that be non-rem sleep would that be
1: or is our nerve is our spinal cord just disconnected because it should be paralyzing us and it's not who knows
0: i want to look into that like the sleep differences between men and women cool. I don't like to generalize but there's got to be some like differences rocks. there
1: there's got to be <laughs> certain differences there for sure amongst yeah. averages so rem <laughs> sleep when you are when most people are paralyzed Right. This is why REM sleep is important. Right. This is where memory consolidation, creativity, learning and problem solving occurs. This plays a huge role in re energizing your mind and body for the next day. So if you wake up and you're like, I got nine hours of sleep, but you don't feel energized the next day, it's probably because you did not spend time enough time in REM sleep. Right. This rapid eye movement stage of sleep. And this is where it's so interesting to learn about this because if you've ever gone to sleep and maybe it's kept you up because you have a problem that you cannot solve and you're just thinking about it thinking about it thinking about it a lot of the times you'll wake up in the morning and the answer is just poof oh the answer is so easy it's right there your body is your brain is literally running through these problems at night trying to solve them so this REM sleep is so 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 important if you want to work better if you want your mood and emotional regulation to be better in the day REM sleep is where this happens and what you see in a lot of people is they might be sleeping but if you lack REM sleep right and this is the sleep stages that we we spend later in the night right so the second half of the night is where you accumulate most of your REM sleep that's where a lot of these problems come from and a scary study this was sorry the study I I pulled over here in China right I don't even want to attempt the university name I apologize right but it found that time spent in REM sleep steeply increased The risk of all cause mortality, the less time spent in REM sleep steeply increased the risk of all cause mortality and increased risk of total cholesterol raise, high triglycerides, LDL cholesterol, type two diabetes and hypertension just from looking at REM, not total Mm -hmm. sleep. It was adjusted for total sleep, but REM in particular, that is huge. That is huge. And REM sleep is usually this is where I know I struggle the most and where most friends I talk to that I try and help out with this struggle the most. Is REM sleep. Now, a normal time spent in REM, this can make up anywhere from 5 to 50% of sleep for some people, but a good goal is to aim at least 1.5 hours, so an hour and a half a night. Yeah, I've seen people that struggle, and this is, I'll tell you some common things that we run into, is, or that I see people run into, is they'll spend two hours in deep sleep, they spend eight hours of sleep, but they don't spend any time in REM. Or maybe their deep sleep mm-hmm. is like three hours or three plus hours, and they barely spend any time in REM. And this is a common occurrence in people who are overtrained and physically exhausted. Because if you're working yourself and overtraining yourself to where you are exhausted, you just need that physical recovery. So your body is opting as much deep sleep as it can, and you barely spend time for REM. That happens later in the night. And another one, and here's for people who are like, man, I'm busy. I got a crazy life. I can only sleep five or six hours a night. If you're only sleeping five or six hours and you're meant to be asleep for seven to nine, guess what part of sleep you're cutting out first? REM sleep. Rem. You might still get deep, but if you're ever waking up feeling exhausted and especially after five or six hours, it's because you're most likely and everyone's cycles are different. And that's why I think it's super important to get a tracker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Your REM sleep is getting cut out first because that usually happens in the hours before you wake up. So if you're cutting that time off, that's the crazy part, right?
0: And for some reason, like I wish that this was, especially when you're in college, like- The importance of sleep was Mm -hmm. emphasized not only from the student, but professors in terms of how they work kids so much. And so many times you have no choice but to stay up even all night. There are things like I really tried in college, made sleep a priority. And even when I wasn't able to sleep, I was not working at that time because that's not when your brain is functional. But it is just the almost burnout culture being normal and overworking yourself, yeah. not sleeping to hustle. If you ask some of the most successful entrepreneurs what they prioritize in their routine and won't give up, it is sleep. That is- Except for Elon Musk. Number one. What?
1: Except for Elon Musk. I think he does oh. like five hours a night. That, he, break, but I'm, I, cause I'm agreeing with you. Every successful person you realize is like, super, super rich, yeah. you hear that story, it's like they used to wake up at like 4 a.m. every morning, but now I'll wake up at like 8 I'll go to bed, yeah. and then, but they, even if their cycles are different times of the day, they get enough sleep. Yeah. They make like sure.
0: s- something I've had to personally come to terms with for my own, so I could grow and be successful in my life is that, you know what, I don't have the best ability to fall asleep early. I'm working on that, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a 5 a.m. Rise and grind person. If I don't fall asleep until one in the morning, you bet your ass. I am sleeping in until eight because my day that will change the whole course of my day and my productivity, despite yeah. what society is telling me to do. I have to wake up and do all these things before the sun rises. It just changes the course of your day. And for some people, if you know that you're not going to fall asleep until one, are you really struggle? And you have the time. Again, I am very lucky that I could sleep till 8 because I work from yeah. home. But if you know you have that, don't feel like waking up earlier is going to make you a more productive person because it's actually really counterintuitive to
1: do that. Preach. Preach. I think I haven't told you that. Like I went through that for the longest time where I, my workout started at 5 a.m.
0: Yeah. yeah, Every
1: single morning. And I was like, oh, I feel But I was crashing at like noon crashing at noon. And it's because I always would have a hard time falling asleep, making myself fall asleep at like nine o'clock on the dot.
0: Yeah. I
1: would try and I'd be in bed, but I just couldn't fall asleep until like 1030, 10 mm-hmm. o'clock, no matter what I did.
0: Which is even and good. I mean, That's incredible. Yeah, for, it's it's to, still to, lucky. The general population. It's
1: very lucky. Yeah. But until I started to realize, I'm like, why am I waking up at five? Again, I work from home. I have ultimate control over my schedule if I need to. And I still think people that don't, I really urge you to do what's within your power to shift your schedule, to prioritize Mm -hmm. this because of how important it is to so many other things. But until I'm like, why don't I just wake up at like six, sleep in an hour? I don't have to put pressure on myself into going to bed at nine. I could actually naturally just get tired. It totally changed the game for me. And it's been more recently, but it changes the game to to prioritize and listen to your own body. Because just like you said, you could try to go to bed at 9 p.m. Fat Mm -hmm. freaking chance, right? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So I have
0: a question for you. Yes. This is actually, I genuinely am curious your thought on this. So say someone's really like struggling to fall asleep and get to bed earlier, but they typically go to the gym in the morning. Mm
1: -hmm. Would you
0: say that maybe getting that extra two hours of sleep and switching your workout to
1: the Mm. evening,
0: like after five is better or worse or the same?
1: Probably context driven because typically in morning workouts, that was a good thing about them is they typically do make you tired a little bit earlier because you're up, but look at your schedule and this is something you got to test out. And that was one thing I learned when changing and fixing my sleep, you got to test a lot of things out.
0: Oh, so, for sure.
1: So if that is you try sleeping in two extra hours, because you're probably going to get a lot deeper, better sleep. You're not going to put pressure on yourself to fall asleep the night before Work out later in the day, whenever you have the availability, try that for two weeks. And see if you're able to fall asleep better, if you're able to wake up better, if your energy changes, like that's the thing. You got to pay attention to all of them. Because yeah. I guarantee you for anybody in that situation, if we took 10 people, for some people, that would make things better. For some, it might make them worse.
0: And I'm like mainly saying the difference between hitting REM sleep and not that type of if that extra two hours is really going to do that, like then I think yeah. there's could be some room there especially if the reason behind just getting up and going to the gym in the morning is because you want to be like have a productive morning like seriously i know sometimes people yeah it depends on the person but
1: yeah but i'm glad you brought up your point it's dying a little bit but that hustle culture if you see like the one or two entrepreneurs i wake up at 4am every day so i can start working at 4am I guess maybe it's just who the I'm paying attention The trend in to.
0: the like wellness culture, like aesthetic, like wellness is like my 5am oh, okay, to 9am <laughs> routine or 5 to that 8. That is
1: true. I forgot about that. That is the whole day in a life. It's like I wake yeah. up at 5am, I do 14 hours of journaling and then by 6pm, yeah, it's stupid. But don't listen to that if that's not you. For some people, that's fantastic. For others, not so much. Especially if, and this is again, for REM sleep, if, even if you don't have a fitness tracker, a good at least telltale sign that you're not getting enough REM sleep is if you're getting seven, eight hours of sleep and you are not waking up well rested. If yeah. you feel like you are waking up and you are more tired than when you went to bed, and that could be from several different things, but if you don't have energy the next day and you're still sleeping eight hours, you might not be spending enough time in REM because that's the stage is going to do so. So if you do, 1.5 hours is where you want to be. And here was the hard part for me is fixing this. I was spending so little time. In REM sleep. And I have a lot of friends who are in the entrepreneur space who, again, work themselves to exhaustion, will do one or two a day workouts, plus working 10 hours a day. Yeah. They work themselves into the ground and they will get two, three hours of deep sleep. And I've seen literally people that have struggled to get 10 minutes of REM sleep, struggle to get 10 minutes when you want an hour and a half. Mm. So Here's the number one thing and the ways that you can increase this, and it's going to be different and context driven for everybody, but the number one thing, and this is what helps me the most, but was arguably the hardest thing I had to change. The number one thing that increases and regulates REM sleep is regulated by your circadian rhythm, meaning your body's natural wake and sleep times. What does that mean? If you are waking up at a different time every morning, if you are going to bed at a different time every night, your circadian rhythm is going to be out of whack. Mm -hmm. Your body's natural wake and sleep cycles largely tell it that. And Huberman has done an incredible job working on how light and viewing light, especially through just anything visual cortex, relates to your circadian rhythm. This is one of the biggest things that you can do that I guarantee just overall sleep quality will have the biggest impact, is finding a one hour window to wake up in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and a one hour window to go to bed at night. <laughs> I can do it again. Monday, too, right? And an hour window to go to bed. So not exactly the same time, but ever since I started now, I think where I'm at, I've, I've thrown around Right now I wake up at around 5.30 AM, Monday through Friday, wake up at around 6.30 AM on the weekends. And that's annoying. People are like, what the H-E double hockey sticks are you talking about? You wake up at 6.30 in the morning, but mm-hmm. when I've regulated it, I feel well rested, awake and ready to freaking go. I just naturally wake yeah. up on the weekends at 6.30. I don't even have an alarm for that. And then going to bed, same time for me, is between now 9.30 and 10.30. Just an hour window when that is your goal bedtime. You don't have to say an exact time, but doing that as many days of the week as you can, the more the better, because I know people are like, I can't on Fridays and Saturdays and sometimes whatever. That's okay. Sometimes you can't do that because of, of other outside factors. Mm-hmm. The more days you can go to bed and just wake up at the same time, The more you will synchronize your circadian rhythm, the better this will be. And even more so a better way to increase that piece that most people don't think about. And this is one thing I work with most of my one-on-one clients first is hammering down a solid morning routine, how to start your day to -hmm. increase REM sleep. People are like, how do I sleep better? What pill can I take before bed? What can I do right before bed? How are you starting your day by going out? And I think Huberman outlines this, get a natural adrenaline spike. So don't chug. Yeah, don't chug caffeine, but get some kind of either cold shower or 10-minute like heart rate up. Sunlight viewing for 10 to 15 minutes, not staring at the sun, but as the sun is rising, getting and absorbing that through your eye holes. (laughs) Those are two of the most important things you can do to start that circadian, that clock. Start that clock to start your day. Work on that routine. And I guarantee you're going to notice how much easier it is to fall asleep at night, to stay asleep at night. Work on how you are starting your mornings. But if you're starting at a different time every day, if you're in a mad rush and the first thing that hits your stomach is coffee and you're running to work stressed, that's not going to help. That's probably the first place to stick. So that's number one, to increase REM sleep. Number two, and I know a lot of people don't like this, is to avoid alcohol and weed.
0: I was waiting for this to come up because especially recently, this has been a topic
1: of conversation. Which is good. big time. We've talked a lot about alcohol, and more and more people are talking about weed too. Those We should have suppressed... an episode on weed. We actually, I'm actually very down. Let's put that in the notes. We're doing it. I
0: used to go to University of Vermont. So, as a fellow ex,
1: Colorado. <laughs> like, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Colorado. The first yeah, illegal, I can't yeah.
0: even talk. I oh, am...
1: my God. So, but yeah, but for, okay. We know what we're talking about. No, I'm kidding. So, alcohol and weed, right? <laughs> Both of them. And you might be like, no, but weed or my nightcap, my drink before bed, my glass of wine helps me fall asleep. I need it to fall asleep. Falling asleep does not equal REM sleep, doesn't equal deep sleep. Weed and alcohol severely suppress your body's natural ability to fall into the deeper and REM stages of sleep. So if you're someone who relies on a nightcap or who relies on that bedtime, that joint, I don't know, that is severely, you you might fall asleep faster it might knock you right out, but you're limiting how deep and how high quality of sleep you could be getting. And that's a hard one to break for so many people because they associate falling asleep with good sleep. And that's not the, they they are not interchangeable.
0: My thing is, especially as someone who used to do that, like used to, and I fell into the thing of weed for my anxiety. I didn't really drink much. I never have, you know, That it's not making you sleep better. You wake up and you feel like shit. There's no way around it. No, you know that. And like, I know that may be a controversial statement, but you can be as in denial about that as you want. The way it makes you feel like you got hit by a truck, again, microdosing, whatever you do, maybe that can make it less, but there's no hiding the fact that you are not feeling better when you wake up in the morning. No. And
1: that's the biggest sign. How are you feeling when you wake up? Were you telling me gummies or you used to smoke before bed or what did you used to do?
0: My mom knows this. I I used to take (laughs) my bong and do – rip my bong before – like not even just – Yeah. And that like zombie in the morning – complete but it probably helped you
1: it knocked you out at night right
0: knocked me out i knocked me out cold i wasn't up all night thinking so it was like putting out the pros and cons until i had a reality check of this is hindering my whole morning and i don't want to feel like that anymore and now i like used to like gummies but don't can't because i wake up in the morning and i feel like shit and yeah it's it's not my thing
1: (laughs) i used to use the little wax pens and i would take one of those Every night, and this is the hard part because I'm empathizing here with a lot of people because falling asleep for some people is the hardest thing in the entire world. They will oh. sit up tossing and turning for hours yeah. during the night. And they're like, if I just take, again, one hit, one rip, whatever, I get knocked out. I'm out like a light in 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I could just do that. It's like a flip of a switch and I don't have to spend hours up. But then again, it takes some honesty because you realize once you're waking up in the morning and you are feeling worse than when you went to bed, that is a sign that what you're doing might be covering up a problem. It's not solving the problem.
0: Oh, yeah. Not it solving was kind of like when I came to terms with the fact that like, wow, I was more mentally in in pain at night and wanted that to turn off. That was more important, turning that off than how I felt during the day. Yeah. I have to fix why I feel like that and mm-hmm. stop stop doing this and fix why I am feeling like that at night. Not saying that for some people that doesn't improve their sleep, yeah. but it makes your time awake more peaceful.
1: Big time, yeah. massively. So it does suck because it's an apparent, very quick switch. But like we even said, like it's, and I think the term and the verbiage is very important. It helps sedate you quicker. It yes. does not help you naturally fall asleep quicker. There's a big difference. You might be like, Oh, it mm-hmm. helps me fall asleep. No, it helps sedate you quicker. Yeah. Big, big difference. And that's where REM sleep. So, those are some big things that you can do to help increase your REM sleep. Also, having that cutoff on caffeine or stimulants later in the afternoon will greatly, greatly help. Some other things, and this is what sleep trackers go, and we'll just run through this before we get into the several other ones and wrap up, right? Is to look at your total sleep. So, your total time of sleep, your sleep efficiency, which is your time in bed versus time spent asleep, your restfulness during the night. So, you could have high REM, high deep, but you had a lot of tossing and turning and movement through the night, your REM, your deep sleep, your sleep latency, right? Or how quickly Mm -hmm. you fall asleep, which the quicker is not the better. This is one thing that I actually recently learned with the aura ring of the last year. I used to think falling asleep fast was a good thing. But if you're falling asleep in like two to three minutes, that usually means that you were overtrained, overworked, exhausted from the day before. You pushed it too hard, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't take you just a minute or two, hit the pillow, boom, out. It's a big sign. And then also some certain sleep trackers keep track of your timing, your sleep timing. Are you falling asleep efficiency? Because I didn't get this for the longest time when trying to optimize my sleep score is I could go to bed two hours later, like 11 PM and wake up at 7 AM. So I got eight hours, my deep and REM sleep were great, but my sleep score would be lower. And I'm like, wait a second. Like I got eight hours, I had high quality. What is it? It's because the timing and it takes that into account wasn't on point. I should have been going to bed Mm -hmm. an hour and a half earlier. And waking up an hour and a half earlier and i didn't notice that but that would affect my next night sleep and the following night sleep so all those metrics go into it which are big so those are that was a lot longer than i had anticipated for sleep so we got hrv we got rem we got deep we got the sleep a few other small ones right and we're gonna get into the big one calories we're gonna talk about one is your body temperature we're gonna skim through this one because this can really just help predict your cycle or period start date. And it also helps mm-hmm. predict sickness along with your respiratory rate, resting heart rate and an irregular HRV. So if your tracker keeps track of body temperature, definitely something to pay attention if it's going high or low out of normal. The next one that I think is very important, the one of the last ones for things that are important for your tracker is your step count, right? We've talked countless times on this podcast. About Mm -hmm. how important your daily step count is, not just to your weight loss and staying healthy, but is a massive predictor in all-cause mortality. Now, in step count too, and this is where you got to be careful, the most accurate measurements are from like a wristband or a ring, right? But if you're using your phone, because I know Apple will keep track, in your pocket or on your desk, and it's moving around all day if you're texting, Mm -hmm. that's not the most accurate method to do so. It could tell you you get significantly more or less steps than you actually Do. Yeah, and you
0: can turn that setting off. And if you use an Apple Watch, like turn off tracking, like in the health app with your phone as well. Don't track with your device, only track with the watch.
1: Yeah, massive. And Marianne actually sent this over to me right before we were even jumping in. It was a massive, massive systematic review and made analyses, right? It was published in the International Journal of Behavioral Nutrition and physical activity in 2020. This was over 57 RCTs, or randomized control trials, over 16,000 participants. And this is a cool thing that we were talking about before. They found that simply by wearing a tracking device that paid attention to your steps, not by setting a step count goal, mm-hmm. but by wearing a monitor, it naturally increased daily step count by more than a thousand steps all the way through a year in the study, is when they were tracking things. So not just initially, after six months, after 12 months, those individuals wearing a tracker were naturally walking a thousand more steps per day than those who weren't. And just for those in reference, we've talked about this. I think we did a whole episode on it, but that massive mid analysis from Iran was showing that for every extra thousand steps you walked per day, or at least in this study, it decreased the risk of all-cause mortality by 12% on average. So that's just right there by wearing a device. And we were talking about this before the show. Those small things that you can change that oh, kind yes. of subconsciously control the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. It's so cool.
0: Yeah. And that's people we were saying at the beginning, people ask me all the time, like if why I'm wearing an apple wash, does that work? Or I heard those weren't accurate, things like that. For me personally, like I know that my steps are often the easiest thing for me to neglect Despite me loving walking, loving moving my body, I know it's very, very easy for me to get caught up in my day and having just a little, I get a buzz if my step count is low and I can check it, having that external motivator, which in we talk about how it's so important to have intrinsic motivation, but there are some external motivators that can just help remind you, hey, like... You have dissociated this long and you've been working for so long. Just stand up. And like, for me, that works for some people. It's very easy to just also ignore that. But personally, that helps me get up and go for a walk. So yeah.
1: it's I mean, as simple we were, as
0: that. It makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah. Cause we were even talking about those small things that just prime your. Subconscious to live a certain way, right? We were mm-hmm. talking about the research. So we don't have the particular study pulled up here just cause we were talking about it right beforehand, but even when they separate groups and they don't have them geared towards weight loss. And they say, this group, weigh yourself every single day. Start the day by weighing yourself on the scale. The other group, zero instruction to to weigh. They can if they want. The group who weighs themselves daily naturally decreases their weight significantly more over months and years later than the group who doesn't. Just because Mm. as soon as you step on the scale, I'm not saying to do that for everybody, but they step on it. And that is immediately in the forefront of their brain is like, oh, it keeps them accountable. Am I making the choices that I want to be making today? I'm yeah. making the choices with my nutrition. With It just naturally does. It primes you. And what you were even saying, right? The greens example, where it's yes. like greens powders, <laughs> for the most part, could just burn your money. But yeah. if you're starting your day with that, it's probably just saying, okay, I'm starting off on a healthy foot. I'm going to make healthier choices today. And it just leads in compounds. Those so small things compound
0: mm-hmm. over
1: time. Now, jumping into the last piece, and this is the funny part because- This is usually why people get a fitness tracker in the first place, to track their calories burned. And we are both on the same page. That is the most insignificant and probably inaccurate metric that you could be tracking with one of these. There's no purpose, in our opinion, to use this to track your calories. And there's a few reasons why. One, it is stupid inaccurate. It's terribly inaccurate. And this is one study that was done in 2017, which I'm going to touch on. But it was a study done through Stanford University measuring seven different fitness trackers. And they found that the readings were up to 43% off from actual calorie burn during exercise. And not just 43% off, 43% overestimating calorie burn. Meaning you might have only burned 400. It's telling you that you almost burned 800. Yeah. I want to cover this part, but, oh, it's, it's 2017, technology's changed. It's not that the technology that they were using was inaccurate. It's that how many calories you are burning during exercise and through the day has so many different metrics that your tracker cannot take into account. Your hormone profile, your sleep quality, your genetics, your lean body mass or muscle versus body fat, your body composition, right? The exercise type, i.e. I know you're like, oh, I could type in if I'm rowing or cycling or running or weightlifting. If you're doing barbell back squats and deadlifts versus machine bicep curls, The calorie output is going to be so much different in the intensity that you bring into that. There's so many metrics that go into how many calories you're burning that there's not a tracker that can do it correctly. And that's what bothers me the most is so many people on the Apple Watch, especially because it gives you a ring, right? It says, fill this ring up and burn. Does it say burn this many calories? Is that what Apple Watch does?
0: Yeah, it's like your move ring.
1: Okay, so they have a movement ring, but I don't know that. But yeah, there's so many people that I'm not done working out until I hit 600 calories. or I'm not done working. That's how they measure it
0: is a thousand calories for moving. Yeah. I don't even know how they get to that.
1: That's the thing is like, and we talked about this so many times and that's not the purpose of exercise. No. The purpose of exercise should not be burning calories. Mm-hmm. It should not be burning calories. It should be to get stronger, to build lean muscle, which provides so many more benefits, not even just metabolic benefits, longevity benefits. The point of exercising should not be to burn calories. So if you're using that metric, as a success indicator of if you had a good workout or not, one, it's not accurate. So you don't actually know if your measure of success is right in the first place. And two, mm-hmm. it's like chasing ghosts. It is not an important metric to if you are getting your goal or not. If you're burning 500 calories, quote unquote, if you're not watching video yeah, in a workout, one, you're probably not burning 500 calories. And two, that number doesn't matter and shouldn't matter in the first place for your goals. No matter if it's weight loss and people are like, oh, but calories in, calories out. Trust me and go into our past episodes where we talk about this a little mm-hmm. bit deeper. Calorie burn during workout, the workout is the smallest piece of your metabolic rate per day, yeah. right? Your total calorie burn, 90 plus percent of it comes from places outside of exercise. You should not be focusing on that tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle when it comes to calorie burn. So that's why I want to go in that. That felt a little harsh, right? No, that, that I- But it's
0: also important because, I mean, maybe we should have put this at the beginning. Like there are people who, especially recovering from an eating disorder, exercise addiction, who should never put a watch on or whatever it is, tracker on them again, because it does more harm than good. And if you are one of those people that finds that like you're being controlled by whether or not you close your Apple watch rings, then that's a time to reevaluate kind of like, okay, why am I doing this? Is there something like... What's going on? Because that is definitely a red flag to be aware of that can lead to a really negative relationship with exercise and movement. Very.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's essentially setting yourself up to think you need to earn the food you eat. And that's the most dangerous, I guess the piece I missed, the most dangerous piece is when you start to base your food intake off of the calorie burn that your tracker tells you,
0: Mm -hmm. oh, I
1: burned 800 calories in my workout. I can eat this now. One, and this is the problem, it's probably a gross exaggeration of how many calories you actually burn. So this is where, and again, we should have brought this up in the plateau episode we did, but why so many people get stuck is because their watch is telling them that they're burning 3000 calories in a day. They're eating 3000 calories and they're, or they're eating maybe 2200 and they're not losing weight, but I'm burning 3000. I'm in a calorie deficit. Why am I not losing weight? You're not in a calorie deficit because you're not actually burning that many calories. And yeah. we curse their name so much on this podcast, but my freaking fitness pal, make sure to turn that switch off. If it syncs to your exercise, it'll give you more and more food based on the exercise that you do. It's like, oh, you've earned 400 extra calories today. You should not be basing your intake off of calories burned ever, period, at yeah. the end.
0: It, it is so odd that like, and that's, unfortunately, that's why a lot of these things sell too. Is uh,
1: The vast majority, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's so not productive. If anything, it holds you back because you're hyper fixating on the wrong things that don't push you towards your goals and just create a really negative relationship with movement that you never want to feel like you resent moving because exercise like controlled you at some point in your life. And Mm -hmm. if anyone's gone through it, like if you've ever felt like exercise has controlled you. Like you were the type of person that had to work off everything you ate. And there is going to be a period of resentment. And if you have any reason to kind of redirect that pathway now, like you don't want to resent moving your body.
1: No, that kind of brings back to the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? If you're working out as almost like a punishment, do you think that habit is going to be one that lasts throughout your lifetime? Like you want it to? No, Mm. it is not. So those are the keys and I'm sure there's, depending on the tracker, so many different things they pay attention to. They're really cool, but please take away this. They're also great clocks.
0: If you like to tell the time, that's also another reason why I have mine. (laughs) Phenomenal
1: Phenomenal clocks, phenomenal clocks. So if you're taking away this, it's like, use these. And I think fitness trackers are so important if you're using them correctly. So take the data, find the places that are, you're struggling in life. If it's sleep, if it's recovery, if it's stress, if it's training, if it's your weight, if it's anything else, Take the data that these give you to make and adjust your lifestyle, training, and nutrition to sleep, recover, and train better to help get you to those goals, mm. right? These are massively important if you know how to use them. They're the biggest waste of time, money, energy, and effort if you don't. If you're just focusing on calories, which I think you're right, is probably the number one reason why they sell in the first place. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, you might as well go buy me a PS5, spend it on something even cooler. As a joke,
0: the newest PlayStation, aren't they a couple grand? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's more of like a meme that I keep seeing on Instagram. I don't know how much it is, but it's like a meme where it's like I hey. was
0: really I had a big reality check when I went to go get one of those for my boyfriend and didn't because oh for was some it reason like I insane thought they in were like three hundred bucks?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Be the best girlfriend ever. I'm getting him a PS5 for Christmas, Like <laughs> two grand. What? <laughs> I don't know yeah. how much it is. I don't know how much no. it is, but that's actually really funny so (laughs) spend your money you could buy mariana's boyfriend a ps5 instead of wasting your money on a calorie tracker and same thing on like those like the like your workout like an orange theory which is based around how many calories you burn hopefully they've changed over the last year or two since i've been over there and seen it don't listen to i know it's enticing to be like i can't wait to burn burn so many calories you feel rewarding (laughs) it's a ghost it's not really there it could tell you you burned a thousand calories you didn't right? Like yeah. just listen to those. So that's what we got. That was a lot deeper. These, this is going deeper too than I thought we would. I thought it was gonna be a little quicker, but that is how you use. And I'm sure we'll do more. And honestly, probably even more deeper reviews on specific trackers might be short ones, things like that. Cause I know I'm a huge advocate for Oura Ring. Freaking love them. Get one. It was the best, honestly, people like, is it where this was the single best purchase I think I can attribute in my life with the difference it's made. I know a lot of people love their whoop bands. I know those track really, really accurate. I just, Risk stuff is not my aesthetic. I don't know why, but I've heard really good stuff there. So we might do some review stuff in the future, but hopefully you got some takeaways from that. Maybe we'll do a bigger research review in our Patreon here shortly about that, but hopefully you got some takeaways. Share with us. Let us know if you have any questions. If you rated us a five-star review, thank you. If you didn't get the F, no, I'm kidding. We love you too, but it takes five seconds and we appreciate every single one of you. So (laughs) Have a great rest of your night. You know where to find us fs.pod pod on Instagram, on TikTok, fitness stuff for normal people on YouTube. And we will catch you next time.